CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. It is Thursday, January 27th, live from my apartment in his attic. This is the Ben Jarofsky Show. I am DJ Nate, filling in for the one and only Dr. D. Today in the program, we have Chicago firefighter and badass lefty Sam Halloway. And now, your host, Chicago Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Cry Baby Aaron Rodgers Thursday, and here's why. First of all, that voice you heard at the outset was not Dr. D. Before I get into why, I call this Aaron Rodgers is a crybaby Thursday. Uh, that's DJ Nate sitting in uh, for uh, Dr. D, who's taking a couple days off to go down to his beloved Alton so he can hang out with the river rats in Alton. Uh, but uh, anyway, so good job, DJ Nate, I know. Uh, before I bring my distinguished guest on who's waiting for me, I just got to say this about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers, of course, is one of the great quarterbacks of all time, at least one of the three great quarterbacks of the 21st century. I can think I could say that. There's Tom Brady, there's Patrick Mahomes, and there's Aaron Rodgers. He's an outstanding athlete, and I have tremendous respect for his abilities on the field. I should know this. Uh, I have been rooting for the Chicago Bears since 1966. I cannot stand the Green Bay Packers. It's just something inbred in me. I see those uniforms. I see that color. I can't stand them. But I respect greatness in athletics, and I, I, I must concede the man is outstanding. That said, his politics <laughs> are so weird. He's jumped aboard this anti-vaxxer bandwagon. He doesn't know where he's going with it. He put himself into a corner, and now he just can't get out of it, so he just gets going deeper and deeper and deeper into the corner. First, he lied to let, well, he led everyone to believe he was vaccinated when he wasn't because he wanted to try to avoid the tougher restrictions that the NFL puts on unvaccinated players. Then when he was revealed that he was actually not vaccinated, he started sobbing about the woke crowd once again whenever anybody in MAGA gets in trouble for doing something stupid, as they always do, because they always are doing something stupid, they always blame it on the people that they upset. They never, ever, ever want to be held accountable for their own behavior, their own rhetoric, their own actions. It's always somebody else's fault, generally a lefty or a black person, or both at best. So that's what he did when he got caught lying. He, he started crying about the woke crowd. And he just went into the corner further and further. Anyway, there was a confluence of events in my life over the weekend. On Friday, my beloved Chicago Bulls lost a very close and difficult game to the Milwaukee Bucks. And the pivotal play in that game was a dirty, cheap shot by a gentleman named Grace. I shouldn't even call him a gentleman. By Grace and Allen. We've talked about this on the show who uh, a very flagrant foul against Alex Caruso that knocked him out of midair when he was going in for a dunk. So he hit the ground at full, full force, hit the ground, broke his wrist. He was suspended one game. Alex Caruso will be out 
for 25 games with a broken wrist. Grayson Allen was suspended for one game for breaking his wrist. I was so upset about that. I was wondering, what can I do to just bring, to rectify this situation? Of course, I was helpless. My beloved Bulls were suddenly so vulnerable because Alex Caruso uh, is an excellent defensive player. So you know what I did, ladies and gentlemen? The very, that very next day on Saturday, Aaron Rodgers and his little Green Bay Packers were playing in a playoff game against the San Francisco 49ers in Green Bay. They were heavily favored. They were at home. They had the best record all year. It was snowing. You figured San Francisco would not be in the game, and yet Aaron Rodgers was underperforming. He was playing terribly. It was in the fourth quarter, and there was four minutes left, and I wasn't thinking about Aaron Rodgers' position, his bizarre position on vaccinations in our country. I wasn't thinking about him edging closer and closer into full-fledged MAGA, where he's now even delivering bits and pieces of dissertations on the 2020 election. No, 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 no. I was thinking about what that wretched Grayson Allen did to Alex Caruso the night before. And so as Green Bay lined up to punt the ball from their, just in front of the outside of their own end zone, folks, I concede, I went deep, 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 deep back to the villages of Russia, where my people come from. And I called up from deep within me some ancient peasant curses that have le- I thought had been left behind in those ancient, my ancient family stomping grounds. And I put a super hex on the Green Bay Packers. I went like, mm, and I sent out such a strong vibration of negatory negativity, folks, that my TV shook, the goalpost shook. And you know what happened? That fired up the San Francisco defensive line, and they rushed through that Green Bay Packer offensive line like they were not even there, and they blocked the punt, and they scooped up the ball, and they scored the touchdown that tied the game. And a couple minutes later, Robbie Gold, the ex-Bear, kicked a field goal that won the game and broke little Green Bay's heart. And all day, Green Bay Packer fans were crying, sobbing, as much as I had been the night before when their dreaded Grayson Allen fouled my beloved Alex Caruso. And I said, there is justice in the world, ladies and gentlemen. It was my fault. So I wake up today. What do I see? (laughs) What do I see, ladies? I'll tell you what I saw. Aaron Rodgers. Got to find it here. Here we go. Aaron Rodgers did an interview. He's got some, man, I should say, I got this little itty-bitty podcast from my attic. Aaron Rodgers has got some gigantic, of course, he's got a huge microphone broadcasting him to America. Everybody gets to hear his nonsense. I bring on legitimate lefties like my guest who's about to come on, and we're like relegated to the attic in the alley. But here's Aaron Rodgers, full uh, broadcast to the entire country. Here's his quote feeling sorry for himself, quote, there were a ton of people tuning in, rooting against us for one reason, and one reason, (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't do this quote, folks, straight face, and what what a son, what a baby this guy is, and one reason only, it's because of my vaccination status, and them wanting to see us lose, so they could pile on, end of quote, I will say this, Aaron, 
that wasn't me. Don't blame that on me. I cannot stand the Green Bay Packers. I would have been as happy as if you were Provax, and on top of that, triple that, I didn't see you speak out one word when Grayson Allen did that cheap shot against AC. So I was sending that voodoo hex had nothing to do with your vaccine stance. So stop crying like a little baby. I lose all the time. When the ba- I never cry like a little baby like that when my team loses. Anyway, there was one comment I have to share with you, ladies and gentlemen. It was pretty funny. Somebody responding to this on Facebook wrote, Q Aaron Rodgers, get it? Q Anon. Q Aaron Rodgers may be out of the, <laughs> I'm sorry, maybe out of the Super Bowl, but with a little more Ivermectin, he still has a shot at the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Anyway, without further ado, I bring on my distinguished guests. I have no idea what his position is on the Chicago Bears, the Green Bay Packers, or Aaron Rodgers, but I know what his general view on life is, and he is a proud lefty. My dear friend and neighbor, Sam Holloway. Welcome back to the show. Thank you, Ben. Uh, it's good to be here <laughs> on a on a fine Thursday afternoon. Yes, <laughs> virtual Thursday afternoon. Virtual Thursday afternoon. Correct. Very good for doing that. Uh, I'm going to start the conversation by reminding everyone that, uh, among other things, besides besides being my friend and uh, my neighbor, uh, Sam is a firefighter for the sh- city of Chicago. Uh, his views are his views. They don't, he does not speak for the firefighters. He does not speak for the firefighters union. He speaks for himself. And please, everybody, leave him alone. Okay? You, hey, Aaron Rodgers, you're probably going to get ripped a little bit in the show. If any, if they do anything to my buddy Sam, I know you're going to speak up for him because I know MAGA believes in liberty. That's one thing I've learned. They believe in liberty, and that means people like Sam Holloway have the right and freedom to speak on a lefty podcast. So there we go. I, have, I always do that with um, when Sam comes up. Sam, you always say I don't have to do it, and yet I always do it. Isn't that correct? You always say I don't yes, have to do it. But I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did that because uh, I know you – I'm assuming you meant that kind of tongue-in-cheek when you said that MAGA believes in liberty. Well, it is kind of tongue-in-cheek. Uh, a challenge we'll, to them maybe? Uh, it's a challenge, and, and I, I've written about this. I've talked about this. Um, and the last time we were on the show, I think we may have addressed this in some degree or another, and I'll bring it up again. My frustration, one of my many frustrations with the right, yo, I know we talked about this because you came up with the great, one of the greatest quotes and I've been using it ever since. One of my frustrations with the right is that they make these grand declarations as though they're standing up for principles when in fact they're not standing up for anything except for tactics that they use at any moment in a fight. And they'll change their tone, their tune if they have to change, if the fight changes. And so Aaron Rodgers declares that he has a liberty, and Joe Rogan says he has a liberty to speak their mind, even if it goes against the grain of what everybody else is saying on the pandemic, and they should not be punished in any way for it. But if you, Sam Holloway, say something that offends them and you get punished, they will, be, they will not be there in your corner. They won't stand up for your rights. And so I don't believe it's a sacred liberty. I think it's just a tool and a tactic and utter hypocrisy. That's my That's perspective. absolutely correct. There, there, there is no free speech. There's only uh, privileged speech. The First Amendment is, um, uh, like the rest of the Constitution, more of a suggestion than... Uh, I mean, we talk about the Bill of Rights, but uh, I have a an old friend, and I'm getting older. Her name is, escapes. Oh yeah, um, 
oh God. Jacqueline, Jackie, she's going to kill me for forgetting her last name. But she said something to me once, and I've never forgotten it. And she was speaking primarily about uh, abortion rights. And uh, primarily in the context of uh, the the Hyde Amendment and all the you know things that have happened since then to curtail those so-called rights. She said, a right is universal. It is, and it will be universally enforced and protected by everyone. Anything short of that is just a privilege. And I'm paraphrasing. She probably said this far more elegant. If I can come up, remember her name, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell you. But, um, uh, and that's part of the problem, isn't it? And what you were saying about um, that freedom, the concept of freedom is another one of those things, which is not what we try to pretend it is. Um, you, again, you, I'm going to say this every time. You know, it's a, if I sound like a bro, broken record, so be it. Um, the concept of freedom in this country, it's a... Uh, well, okay, if you go back to the Declaration of Independence... You know, who are, who, who's the guys that signed this thing? Slaveholders, land speculators. Um, they were all, in one way or another, participants in a campaign of genocide. Uh, this is what, how this country was established. It's how it was, how it was built, how, how it grew and solidified itself. So their concept of freedom was very specific. It was an exploitative kind of freedom, a freedom that by its very nature came at the expense of someone else. So in that by that definition, Aaron Rodgers is absolutely correct. His freedom was, is being impinged upon. And, and even to suggest that he's in the wrong harms him in some way, that, you know, some immeasurable way. Because, uh, and that he's, you know, and that dynamic of crying, you know, crying like a, a, a a hit dog when you're just because you've been criticized you know it hasn't cost him a penny you know there if he decides to quit the Packers and sign as a free agent with some other team he'll find another job and they'll probably pay him a lot of money because he's not the only one that NFL player that's anti-vax but and as you said he's incredibly talented he still probably has a few years good years left in the tank someone will sign him if he's looking you know, to go to a playoff contender. So him being anti-vax isn't materially harming him in any way. He's just, he's heard some criticism for it. And that hurts his feelings. So, and um, in a way, he's no different from, oh, I don't know, the liberals who still blame Ralph Nader and Jill Stein for losing very winnable elections. You know, they try to say that, oh, well, uh, and, you know, it, and it's all lies, you know, just made up invented facts like Ralph Nader did this or he cost this number of votes. No, that's not what cost. First of all, the, the we all remember that Bush cheated. It, the election, the 2000 election was stolen. And anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. Because people will still say bad things about Ralph Nader because of 2000, even after they've rehabilitated George W. Bush. So they are embracing George W. Bush, and they're still demonized. 
and and they go after Jill Stein, and the math doesn't even make sense, even at a cursory glance. But but it isn't about that. It isn't about some material harm that these two candidates did. It's about them offering a clear moral alternative, and one that I would say is morally superior to what the Democrats were offering. And they barely scratched the surface, you know, or barely made a dent as far as numbers are concerned. They, they didn't get many votes. There was not a decisive total that either of them got. But that wasn't the point. They're convenient scapegoats uh, for Gore and later on Clinton running hard to the right, um, basically spitting in the faces not only of the left but of everybody who was you know, feeling downtrodden or desperate or whatever and, and saying, we need to go a different way here. And they were told, you know what? Screw you. We don't need you. Well, that didn't work. So the complaint against these little tiny voices out there on the left is not a moral complaint. It's not a material complaint. It's, as someone put it today, they're pounding the table. They're upset. Because they were wrong, and subsequent events proved them wrong, but they can't be wrong. So it has to be someone's fault. Uh, that's and that's that's what that's that tan- the same tantrum that you you're probably hearing out of uh, the same dynamic you're hearing out of Aaron Rodgers. He can't be wrong. I, I will return to Aaron Rodgers in a minute. Uh, you mentioning Nader. Uh, is really uh, one of my favorite topics, and I cannot resist uh, entertaining this for just a bit. Uh, I have lived, I've told you this so many times, Sam has heard me uh, so many times down through the years, but I have lived among lefties my entire life. And the notion that you can get a really committed leftist to vote for Al Gore and Joe Lieberman Oh God! Okay, just 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 pause. It wasn't just Gore; it was J- Gore and Lieberman, uh, and uh, they were making a concerted effort to go right, as you said. The notion that you're going to get a committed leftist to do that is utterly absurd. And so then to turn around and blame <laughs> blame the leftists for not throwing away their principles. On this election, uh, when the, they don't support anything you stand for, is so is so twisted, and I think is everything that's wrong. Well, not everything, but it's it speaks to so much of what's wrong with the Democratic Party that it won't look at its policies. And you know, I heard it in 2016 as well, directed at Black people. Like it was for some the New York Times did a story about black voters in Milwaukee, and so after that it was black black people in Milwaukee got thrown under the bus. And by the way, all you black people in Milwaukee support the Milwaukee Bucks. Shame on you, Grayson Allen is a punk. I didn't mean to go there, Sam. But you follow what I'm saying, Sam? The Democratic Party, who I support, Sam knows this. Like he won't vote for him, but I will. I go, I, I got it. I can't. It's like FDR comes down and makes me, but. I'm so frustrated with them because they never offer anything to really give people of the leftist persuasion a reason to vote for them, other than we're not as bad as the fascists. 
which is not the true anymore. We, we'll, I imagine we're going to wind up talking about that. No, we, we'll not, talk about no, that one. I still say they're better than the fascists. Uh, but yeah, so I've never, I, 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 I just can't stomach it when uh, they badmouth Ralph Nader, who his whole life, Sam has fought the good fight, you know, and all right. So uh, back to the, I will go, we'll bring it back to Aaron Rodgers and why I say they're not as, one reason why I say they're not as bad as the fascist. Please explain to me how, why it is that Aaron Rodgers, Joe Rogan, and so many people in MAGA land persist in fighting and resisting getting vaccinated. I think it goes back to that concept that, that what I consider amoral, um, reactionary concept of freedom. Um, it's a freedom that is built on the suffering and death of other people. And I think early on in the uh, pandemic, it was obvious that the, we talked about this before, the, the people suffering the hardest were, you know, disproportionately poor, darker. Um, I mean, not everyone who was dying was black and poor, but it was falling on the people who couldn't protect themselves from either by isolating themselves, like they, they had to go to work, they had no or insufficient medical care. Um, there wasn't a vaccine in the early days. So uh, it was the most vulnerable people. And, and we're also talking about this is something that cuts across in some ways, cuts across all kinds of demographics. And it's still a problem today, which hopefully we won't dwell on too much today. But uh, people that are who are immune compromised or disabled in some way or who are extremely vulnerable to the virus. Um, those are people who were suffering more. But to the reactionary mind, these people are expendable. Some of them will actually say it outright, but in, you know, in polite company or if they know, you know, polite company might hear what they have to say, very few of them will say it straight out. But it's, uh, there's some people who are expendable and, and freedom is paid for with their, their suffering and blood. That's assumed. It's practically in the Declaration of Independence. Um, so it, it, that doesn't surprise me at all that people would take that position. Because remember, the earliest protesters against the, well, we didn't, we've never really had actual lockdowns, but you know, like restaurant closures and that sort of thing, uh, there were people. I want to go out. I want my. Uh, I want my bacon and eggs. You know. I want my. I want to go sit in a restaurant. They were mad. They were legitimately angry, and they were organizing and picketing. You know, because they wanted to be served. You know, they wanted things to open up. They wanted to shop. They wanted. You know. So, but they didn't. They weren't really concerned about whether or not they would get sick. But they also didn't care that the people who would have to serve them would get sick. And we're still seeing those little things happen where people are going into restaurants unmasked or, or into stores unmasked. And, and they're actually like with their camera phones going. They're like recording themselves doing this, their little protests. I want to shop here. I don't want to wear a mask. They, you know, it's, it happens on airplanes too, you know. So it's... it's um, it's that specific, and it's not just an American thing. 
but it's uh, we, we probably I'm going to guess we have it worse than anywhere else, or more you know, in a great to a greater degree. You know, like you know, uh, that's that's sort of self-centered concept of freedom, and it's very and not just self-centered, but like kind of murderous, really. I mean, it, it's the same. It's, it's the same. Uh, it's on the same track as you know, saying that we're defending freedom abroad by building military bases and bombing the crap out of seven countries at one time and arming and training fascists and you know death squads and stuff. That's all for freedom and democracy, you know. But it's a very specific, and and people who are who are doing these things, some of them probably really believe that. But it's a specific concept of freedom. And it's a very, very dangerous one. And it's not just Republicans that, are, that feel it. They might articulate it in a little, slightly harsher and less polite way, but they're not alone in, in embracing that, that particular interpretation of freedom. So the particular uh, definition of freedom is, uh, to sum it all up, if I am not going to pay a consequence for my behavior, if somebody else... And- somebody else different than me does that doesn't matter as long as i'm not paying the consequence for my behavior it doesn't matter if somebody else does i'm i have a freedom to do what i want and i'm going to do it even if it hurts you that's the consequence i i i used a phrase today i'm probably not the first one but i referred to the, our our national sort of culture ethos or whatever it's a narcissistic death cult um, and if you remember the, I think that was Greek mythology, Narcissus, was it? Or I get the Roman and the Greek mixed up. Remember how he died? Mm-hmm. He fell in love with himself. He wasn't like going around killing other people. He killed himself, basically. Yeah. So, and this is happening too, where you have these people who are really loud and proud about, I'm not getting vaxxed, I'm not wearing a mask, and, you know, occasionally you... You, if you follow them on social media or whatever, you find out, you know, down the line, uh, oh, please pray for our uh, our husband, our brother. He fi- lost his battle with COVID. It's so sad, and it and it really is. To be serious, it really is. Um, but they will kill themselves, or for this concept of freedom. Uh, Sam, we I started, I alluded to this when I mentioned uh, Gore and Lieberman in two thousand about my. I have a few years on you, so I can recall. Go- the same principle going back before you were born my entire life since I've been, I should put it, since I've been following politics uh, roughly from, it really started in 1972. The Democrats have always moved right to make accommodations uh, to the tactics and the rhetoric of the Republicans, always. It really picked up after Reagan. And so I could do it in a whole series of issues, education, with it, uh, charter schools, uh, po- fiscal policy, lowering interest rates when unemployment's high, et cetera, and so forth. But I'm just going to deal with the vax, with, with the, the, the pandemic. I'm watching a shift, and I saw this. This is why I really wanted to bring you on the show. Here we are. We're finally getting around <laughs> to it. I, I, <laughs> Aaron Rodgers got me on a tangent. I've been watching a shift in the rhetoric uh, around uh, dealing with the pandemic. And at the outset, it was some extremists, some lunatics, uh, 
with the Confederate flag and rifles and like that gathered in Michigan that were articulating this stuff. And now I'm watching pretty much it has taken hold in the Republican Party. The newly elected governor of Virginia has uh, ordered schools. They can't mandate masks. That's an order from the state. Where's Aaron Rodgers speaking about their freedoms of local school boards? Uh, they can't mandate masks. And I know, I know that Democrats, I can already feel it in the air, are looking at this and looking at internal polls and doing their little focus groups and going, you know what, guys? We got to move right on this. Or well, they already have. The yes, that's. Well, look, look at look at the 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 White House and the CDC. Um, uh, well, we're going to have to learn to live with this. Zero COVID is not a strategy, and the corporate media are doing this. They're on. They've got. They're on the same page too. I think was it the New York Times that had a big article or or one of the their little opinion page. You know, trolls that that they pay all the millions of dollars to was saying something about China's zero COVID strategy is a mistake. Oh yeah, we, how many people have we lost here? We're approaching a million dead here, and they've lost what five, six thousand. Yeah, zero COVID's really not working so well for them. So um, again, it's that, <laughs> and Biden coming out and saying our economy is strong. Uh, yeah, okay, and, and the, the, it, it's it's like comedy. It's like it's it's really a threat to satire because these people are saying and doing things that if I wrote this up as a script, like a comedy script, no one would buy it. It's just that's that's just too far gone. Like that this that one interview that Kamala Harris was giving last week, and the uh, interviewer asked her. I, I'm not even going to try to paraphrase it because there's no point. But he asked her, if, "Do we think that you, do you think you're doing everything you can, you know, as far as fighting COVID?" And, and she gave some word salad that was, I mean, it's like something off of uh, I won't, won't say Saturday Night Live. They're, they they wouldn't do something that deadpan. Um, but yeah, it was like a satir- it was like a satirical response. It was like, "Are you kidding me? This is the highest. This is coming out of the highest office in the land. This is like, this is our guidance." So you, you know, sure, the right wingers are 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 batshit crazy, um, but it's really just the other side of the the coin. The Democrats aren't really offering the solution. This is a pandemic. It's a, it's an airborne virus. The only way we're going to get out of this is through collective measures. Um, collective measures focused on caring for people, protecting people. Um, this concept that we can tough it out. Everyone just go out on your own and get vaccinated, and we'll get through it. It ain't going to work. And the people who are refusing all the, man, the so-called mandates, well... You know, they're wrong, but they're not alone in being wrong. They're doing, in a sense, they're, they're being told to make an individual choice. And the, there is no individual solution to this problem, to this pandemic. So really, they're just taking 
the direction they've been given by the so-called good guys and taking it to its logical extreme or illogical extreme, if you prefer. So this isn't to say that I'm have any sympathy for for what they're doing. It's just that remember that I think the last time we talked, it's all I used the, the metaphor. It's a cage match between two heels. There is no hero here. There's no one in a high place who has a goal to or even a an inclination to save us. They're looking out for for the the, the White House is looking out for the bottom line. And the investors have said, put them back to work. And this has trickled down through our whole political economy. You have all these mayors saying, well, we got to get the schools open because otherwise it's harmful for the children. No, watching their teachers disappear, watching their grandparents and parents get sick and die is harmful for the children. Did you, Ben, I don't, I don't have this article handy, but some really you know smart people that do this sort of thing did a study. Um, and did you know that like suicide rates for young people went down when all these schools went remote? I, I've heard the exact opposite. Go ahead, that they've no, gone no, up. I'm talking about for for the for the kids, not not just during the pandemic, but when the schools were were sh- when were shut, when the kids were no longer in the schools. That's just to say that and I'm not saying that them going remote was good for kids. That's not the point. The point is that the 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 conventional wisdom that's trying that these people are peddling these capitalist sock puppets are peddling is that we have to have the kids in school at any cost because to not have them in school is harmful well you have schools where most of the faculty are out sick so they're putting the kids in lunchroom with like or in auditoriums with volunteers and you know they're not learning anything in these in these circumstances they're being warehoused so that their parents can go to work. And it just so happens that a lot of the parents are, are okay with that because they don't want their kids in their house. Whether they're working from home or going to the office, they don't want their kids around the house. They want them out of there. Put them in, get the kids in the schools. So I imagine there's some CPS parents who actually, for hell or leather, do want their kids in the school no matter what because maybe they've got great health insurance and if their kids get sick, they have something, to, you know, some resources to fall back on. Well, my kid's triple vaxxed. He won't get that sick. But someone's going to. Someone's going to suffer for this. It's just not them. So let's get a little more specific with what uh, went down uh, over the last couple of weeks. I've talked a lot about it in the show, and I wrote about it in the reader, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I don't think you and I have had a conversation about this. Uh, the way in which... Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot took this health issue and turned it in to a fight with the quote-unquote dreaded Chicago Teachers Union, which sort of in her life is to her what the Green Bay Packers are to me, okay? (laughs) (laughs) It's like... Yeah, you got to hate something. So I'm going to hate the Green Bay Packers. It's pretty innocuous. It's just me rooting for football. You know what I'm saying? It's, But she's this is like affecting the lives of thousands and thousands of people. And they didn't have proper 
protocols set up, Sam. They didn't have masks in the schools. They didn't have a testing program set up. The teachers were concerned as the clock ticked closer to January 3rd opening or whenever the opening was after the first of the year. And she said, go to school, go anyway. And the teacher said, no. And so that became a battle, a political battle. She didn't have the proper protocol set up. So she turned it into a political battle in which she was trying to rally Many of the your our neighbors because we live on the north side where which is like her base and this is her this is ground zero for the kind of people who would would despise the Chicago Teachers Union. So help me with this one, Sam. I know I'm what I'm about to say sounds incredibly naive, but isn't t- looking out for the best interests? of the children in the schools and the, the staff in the schools, the paramount thing? Shouldn't she have been all about correcting whatever? If it was pointed out to her they didn't have masks, shouldn't she order the city to put masks in schools as opposed to saying at the bargaining table, oh, we'll get you those masks down the road. Please explain to me what's going on uh, in Chicago where a, a health issue is turned into a political fight. Um, it's, it's this, you know, it's the same dynamic we've been talking about already. Um, there are priorities that by definition, if those priorities are, are, you know, pursued and met, someone's going to get sacrificed. Someone is, has to be set up to get sacrificed. And in this case, it's the teachers and the poorer kids who, you know, in Chicago generally are the darker kids. Um, not entirely, but the main important thing is that they're poor and they don't, they're, they're expendable. Their families are expendable. Their families of the teachers are, and, and the staff are expendable. Anything to, so that those kids are in schools. And if you can... And and it almost looks to me, Ben, like it was a setup, because didn't we get Chicago get like two billion dollars or something in federal COVID relief funds? And she quick, very quickly wrote a like an over check to cover overtime for the cops. Where was the money? How much of that money was spent on the schools? And I'm, you know. And I think this is something the union was asking and some parents were asking and some reporters, local reporters actually asked the mayor this and she got like snippy with them, got, gave them some smart ass remark. I said, are you kidding me? But this is, this is who she is. She's still that corporate attorney. She's still that um, willing servant of reactionary, you know, wealthy interests. That's what she, that's that's her role, and I think she might even be a true believer in that way, at least as far as that's concerned. But you know, I don't really care about that so much. But, um, and I think she was. This is my belief. Um, you know, you have to understand. I'm basing it on what I hear. You know, living as you and I do in this part of town and, and where I work, where the politics of my highly paid unionized public employee colleagues tend to be uh, a little farther toward the right. Um, uh, 
they're not exactly, even though some of them are even married to teachers, uh, they don't look at the teachers' union. It's almost always the teachers' union's fault. Let's put it that way. Oh, they should have done this. They shouldn't have done that. People are tired of that union, blah, blah, blah. Oh, really? Um, So, yeah, I'm thinking the mayor is probably probably was coming out of the break looking at the same rising you know infection numbers that we were seeing and saying someone in her office if it wasn't her herself was saying this is an opportunity to score some points against the teachers union i think that i'm going to go out on a limb and say this is my opinion based on what i'm seeing this was deliberate and our kids my child and her teachers her classmates and their families were just fodder for for this this scoring this cheap political win or as she might see it they were all sacrificed for for this political ploy because you know what else can what else could it be we knew what was happening they had the resources to do something about it and they waited and waited until it was too late. And the teachers who, knowing what and knowing how the CTU is not going to let their members go into this without a fight, she had to know that. So I think this was, it looks like, I mean, I don't know for sure, but it certainly looks like it was a setup to score some points against the union and, sacrif- and put our kids in the crosshairs and their families in the crosshairs just to score those points. And kudos to the kids, at least the ones who, there are some kids, uh, I want to say they were led primarily by some black and brown kids from the south and west side, I believe, who organized a citywide walkout. Uh, my child was joined that walkout. Bless her heart. I love that child. She's she's fantastic. Um, uh, I'd be surprised she if she one, did. <laughs> Yeah, there were. She's one of, I think, relative few from her school that actually joined in. But uh, there were a lot of kids out there, and they made their voices heard. Um, was it symbolic? Yeah, but it was pretty brave on their part. Um, were their voices heard? I don't think the city or the, or the board of education gives a crap about those kids. So, but yeah, this is a. It's ugly. It's really ugly. And it's sad that there are so many people who have the privilege to stand up and speak out about it who are going along with it. I, I just want to follow up on something. Uh, I, I was caught off a little guard by this. Uh, maybe, uh, again, I have a higher, uh, but whatever, let me go. I was just going to ask you specifically, you spend a lot of, there's free time at the firehouse uh, and, and you get to talk with your colleagues. Uh, you're not chasing fires every, <laughs> sort of listen to them. Uh, and you're telling me, I re, again, 2004, uh, 2012, when the teachers went on strike, the, the firefighters union stood with the teachers. I remember the rally downtown, uh, Karen Lewis was speaking. That, okay. Let yeah. me put it this way. Do you remember, uh, Tom, uh, our, our union president at the time? Yeah. Consummate diplomat. A lot of guys didn't like him, but he's very, very much a diplomat. Um, and this was also... This was like that. That strike was. There was a lot going on then. Um, there was a thing up in Wisconsin 
that was also going on at the same time, roughly that same time period. Uh, so the, the certain members of the union leadership and probably a, a decent minority of the members of the actual members. Um, okay, I sh- I'm, uh, that's being really optimistic, but uh, that was our union president's idea. I don't know how much support he had for that among the rank and file. He had my support, obviously, but I think I saw you at the um, rally. <laughs> yeah. I was at one of them. Well, let me put it this way. Our, our, our union still, this is still true today. I, I don't know if you've talked to our union president. Very sharp guy. Our, our union board is great. They look out for us, the members. Fan, just they do a f- fantastic job of that. I have nothing bad to say about that. But the politics of the union in general, of the membership, again, they tend to lean a little towards the right. And... Our union is a closed shop, basically. Sure, we're part of an international, technically, U.S. and Canada, that's technically international. But the culture of the job is a little reactionary. The political culture of the members tends to be a little more reactionary. So even though none of them trust City Hall, um, the idea of standing behind a teacher's union when, how, what, Maybe half of them, I don't know what the numbers are, but I'm going to guess maybe half of them don't even have kids in public schools if they have kids who are of school age. I don't know what the numbers are now, um, but most of them went to Catholic schools when they were, you know, so they don't really think very highly of the concept of public education to begin with. And a teacher's union, which is predominantly, you know, female and um uh, a lot of the teachers, are, a lot of the personnel are black as well. It's, they're not going to garner a lot of sympathy f- from the ranks. So it just stands to reason that when the city just picks a fight with the union, um, they're, n- they're not all going to rush out and take the teacher's side. Well, uh, fair enough. I, uh, when you said it was a setup, I'm not certain. That, I'm not saying it is. I'm saying it yeah, looks you, like you it. Thought, okay, it looks like a setup. So uh, I'm not sure. I'm, even I am willing to sign on to that because you're giving a lot of credit uh, to the Lightfoot administration when you say that for sophistication. Uh, I will say this, that when the moment came and they realized that the, the depths of the confrontation they were facing, they embraced it. And I believe... I can almost just I can almost imagine the conversations that were going on because I read the same newspapers they read. You just alluded apparently you read you dip in them at least yourself. Uh, the conventional wisdom of the pundit class in this country, uh, as expressed in the New York Times and uh, the uh, Washington Post, um, and uh, had already moved on from closing down schools. And the Democratic Party, uh, after the Virginia gubernatorial election, had already moved beyond that. And they were determined, you're going to keep the schools open because we don't want this to be used in a campaign uh, by the Republicans who say we are beholden to the teachers union. And so this was this is a stand that the Democratic Party wants to take because they want to show their constituents 
their voters that they uh, there's separation between them and the the teachers unions of the world, and they uh, are going to be vigilant with teachers unions. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think there's a more possibly at least as important reason, if not more important, is they want to show their donors, their corporate and wealthy donors, that um, we're not going to let we're not going to uh, slow down your your earnings or your profits to protect these peons, because uh, that's why you have the op-eds in the New York Times and probably other papers just like doing this totally, absolutely ridiculous uh, inversion of what's right in our faces where China has like 5,000 COVID deaths and we, we're like racing toward a million and China's the one screwing up. It, it, it's, it's mind-boggling that they would even print something like that, but here we are. Because to them, again, the thought that a government would prioritize the well-being of all of its citizens, even the ones who can't write a $10,000 or $100,000 campaign donation check, that they would prioritize the well-being of everyone over um, the obscene profits of a handful of people, that's like... That's obscene to them. And they may all, some of them may be smart enough not to, to, to even, they may be smart enough to dance around that, but the facts speak for themselves. What they're doing, their actions speak for themselves. Uh, we're being sacrificed. Now, some of us, I, I've already gotten COVID once. So far, it, it was just felt like a mild cold for a couple of days. But we don't know what this thing can do. This is a sinister, it's a, it's a persistent virus. It does things beyond the initial symptoms, the symptomatic phase. You know, I don't think I can't really say that I have what they call long COVID, but who knows what this is going to do to me long term. But I'm not even worried about myself. I'm 50, 50 something years old. I've lived a pretty good life. There's a lot of vulnerable people out there, immune compromised, who cannot afford to get infected. Um, there are people who don't have the health insurance that I have, they cannot afford to get infected. And there's, there's jobs that won't pay people to stay at home if they're sick. So these are the people who are being sacrificed by this, in this whole system. And that's bad. And that's, that's a bipartisan thing. Now we could say that the Republicans are a little more open about it, but it, it's, it's just my belief, whether it's intentional or not, um, at least since Reagan, or, or you know, no, I, I would say at least since Clinton, there's been that, you, you, you put it earlier than that, but I think it's been obvious to me since at least the Clinton years that the, the, the Democrats keep pushing to the right and the Republicans, I guess in an effort to distinguish themselves and, you know, race even harder to the right. Uh, so, I reverse it, but whatever. We have it. I dated. I dated to the 1972 election. Uh, in the aftermath of the 1972 election, uh, when Richard Nixon won a uh, a landslide victory over George McGovern, uh, that was a pivotal election in the minds of many uh, young Democrats, including Bill and Hillary Clinton, and particularly Bill Clinton was determined never, ever, ever 
to be outflanked by the Republicans on the right. Uh, and he was a McGovern strategist in Texas, and he saw, and Nixon crushed McGovern in Texas. And uh, the Clintons of the world, and I'm not, it's not just them, but they're the symbols, began moving right. And in every election, they have that sister soldier moment, which you're old enough to remember, where he denounced sister soldier and just to show that he, and, and now I got, we got Mayor Lori Lightfoot. It's unbelievable. Arnie Duncan comes out with a, a, a plan that uh, a policing strategy plan that talks about the need to spend some of the money that we spend on police, uh, having civilians handle some of the responsibilities. And immediately, Lori Lightfoot, who ran as a progressive, starts talking about defunding the police, and this is a defund the police strategy. I'm like, is this Richard Nixon? And so, say a push come to shove, I think that's... I think that's where Democrats go. So that's how I view it. Well, yeah. you know, you can even go back to FDR when he was uh, when he knew he wasn't going to finish out his last term. He, he kind of knew he was on his deathbed, and there was this: who's going to replace him? Um, who's going to run and replace him? Uh, because he was running for his last term, and he, I think, he kind of knew that whoever his last vice president was 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 going to take over the reins because he probably wasn't going to survive his last term. Well, who did he pick? Did he pick Henry Wallace, the lefty? No. He picked the reactionary... Harry Truman. Yes. So, because... And this you, goes... You should have said it. Did he keep Henry Wallace? Because right, that was his vice president. So he right. ousted Henry he Wallace. Ousted, got rid of Henry Wallace. brought in Harry brought Truman. Brought in Truman. Because to your the point. Rich, because... And, and people... And, you, you know the history of the New Deal. It wasn't this communist takeover like the right-wing industrialists were trying to say. FDR was trying to save capitalism. He saw what the Bolsheviks were doing in, in, in Russia. He saw what, what the Depression was at, had opened up. It opened up a, a Pandora's box. And he had to choose. He didn't want to choose between fascism and communism. So he says, well, let me find another way to save capitalism. Fascism ain't it. And it was really brilliant that the way it was done. Um, but that process continued when he knew he was not going to make it all the way. And that's what I think the choice of Truman over Wallace was. It was a, it was a right turn that he, he may not have been happy with, but he felt it was part of the corrective process to keep the country from going too far left you know, but anyway, that that's neither here nor there. But you were you were asked me something about um, we were talking about black uh, a lot of these black leaders like Lori Lightfoot, and she's sadly far from alone. There's a lot of black mayors and other high-ranking black people in municipal and, and even national politics now, who because you know back back around when um, leading up to the Bush Bush two years if all your black reactionaries were Republicans and, and, you know, it was easy to make fun of them or, or ridicule them, you know, and we can name names. I don't want to, you know, but uh, I don't want to conjure up those names again. Most of them are still alive. We don't need to give them any publicity. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. We got to go. Um, so yeah. So I think this is my opinion and you can take, do with it as you will. But I think the, Ascendancy of Obama 
really kicked it into high gear. So now you don't have to be a reactionary. You don't have to be a Republican to be a successful black reactionary. Now you can be a Democrat. And they, you can really? campaign on progressive values and blah, blah, but whatever that means these days. But when it comes time to govern, hell, you might as well be a Republican, like that guy that's running for governor against the black dude that's running for governor against Pritzker. Richard Irvin, the, the mayor of Aurora. All right, we have run out of time here, and this is a perfect way to say we will, the next time Sam's on, we'll pick up this conversation right here because Richard Irvin's campaign, funded by the richest people in the state of Illinois, will be really kicking in the gear, and we'll have a lot to talk to. Uh, Sam Holloway, it's always a blast talking to you. Thank you so much for making time uh, thank for you. us. And I also thank, want to thank... Thanks, Nate. Yes, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Lane Tech High School. And uh, Sam, as you know, back in Lane Tech... They call him Dr. DJ, and the D stands for DeMarvelous. Thank you very much, Nate. Take care, everybody. Take care, everybody.